Hey, welcome to Church Alive. Our mission is to reach, teach, and empower people to impact their generation for Christ. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the message. In a moment, we're going to receive God's Word, and I want us to stand to our feet as we get ready for Stephen Rosek, our Freedom Connect Group, our Freedom Transform Group leader. Come on, give Steve a hand. Church, how's everyone doing today? Hey, while you're standing, let's open up in prayer real quick. Lord, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you're here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We welcome your presence. I thank you, Lord, that your presence is here. And in your presence, there's fullness of joy. But in your presence, Father, there is transformation. So I pray over this word. I pray over your truth this morning that as it's spoken, that, God, it would avail much, that there would be seeds that would be planted. But the things that were planted before, that, God, you'd redeem them, that you'd breathe on them, that there'd be a fresh touch of heaven in this place today. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. You may be seated. I was thinking about not telling you to sit down to see how long we'd stand for, but it's too early for that, isn't it? It's like Pastor Anthony said, uh, my name's Steve. I'm the leader of our Freedom Transform groups here at Church Alive. I am the father to a beautiful young lady, and I walked in before, and she wanted to give me a hug. So hi, Agnes. Hi, baby. I love you, princess. So growing up, I don't know if anybody of you in here have nicknames or anything like that, but Growing up, I had a nickname when I was in high school, and nobody that knows me now knows about this, so this is pretty cool, except my parents, who are here too. So when I was a freshman in high school, I ran on the track team, and I was a jumper. So I would do high jump, long jump, and triple jump. And there was this kid, he was like this crazy junior, and he was like the guy who was the nickname guy. You know what I mean? Like, he was just the guy in the team, and it was apparently his job to bestow nicknames upon everybody on the team. So one day I run and I'm in, I'm in practice and at this time in my life, I was much, much more redhead than I was. Bennett, see that? That hair right there? That's me, freshman in high school, okay? So I run and I do a triple, uh, I do a high jump and I get and I get off and this kid goes, hey, I got your nickname. I got it for you right now. You ready for it? I'm like, sure. He goes, fire in the attic. <laughs> Red hair, up high, fire attic you and I was like I'll take it based on whatever else you could call me that sounds pretty cool and it's pretty cool when you're running 100 meter and your whole team's going fire fire you know I stayed in last but I was encouraged about it so these things only go so fast people but growing up in 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 grammar school and everything even through high school I was like your typical science nerd I was that kid that was anything you've ever seen in a movie about a science nerd, except they didn't have glasses. That was pretty much me. I loved it. I ate it. I breathed it. Everything I thought about was science. I was that kid that was making chemistry in the backyard with dirt and grass and berries. You know, anything I could find off the trees, shove it in some water. It's a potion! That was me. My, uh, my uncle, when I was growing up, he was actually a research chemist at Hoffman LaRoche. So I had a, a great role model to look to. He was in his department. He was actually the only person in his role ever that did not have a PhD because of how qualified he was, just how intelligent he was. And so looking at all of that stuff, I, I realized that I'm one of the few people that from when I was really little up until now, something that I really always enjoyed, I actually get to do. So it was throughout high school, I really liked science. And then when I got to college, I was like, I still like science. And now I'm 10 years into a career, I'm an environmental scientist. 
And so I've been able to take something that's been consistent throughout my life, and I get to do it now for my career. And it's so much fun. I really enjoy what I do. But deep down, let, let me get real today. Deep, deep, deep down, if you were to say Steve, is the reason that God put you on this earth to clean up contaminated sites in New Jersey. <laughs> I might say no. Wait, it's not that I don't enjoy what I do. And it's not that I don't leave work sometimes and I'm accomplished. And I'm like, man, we really did something. You know, we do take um, sites that are very contaminated, clean them up, and put them to beneficial use. There is a good thing to what we do. But if, I, if you were to ask me, the thing that God put in you to do, is that what you're doing in your career right now? I'd probably say no. Now, God has used my career over the last 10 years to hone in my character. He's used my career to teach me integrity, yeah. to teach me how to work hard, to teach me how to think even more clearly. He's, in short, used it, absolutely. But sometimes it can feel like there's a disconnect between what we do, what we think we should be doing, and maybe what we think God actually put in us in the first place. Yeah. And so what I want to talk to you today is the title of my talk is quite simply A Restored Identity. Because when we walk in the identity that God created us with, we're not only successful, but we are fulfilled. Yeah. Now there are some people, there's some people that are business-minded people, and God has graced them gifted them, and anointed them, and that is their ministry. Yeah. They go out and they teach people how to be successful and honor God at the same time. Yeah. They model even what Timmy was talking about, how he runs his business. They model those things, and that's a blessing, and there certainly is call on people to do that. But isn't that, though, the question? What am I here for? Yeah. Isn't that the answer that we're all trying to find so much? Yeah. And it seems like, doesn't it feel like sometimes there's too few people that actually figure it out? You look at a couple of people who are successful, and you're like, well, they did it. Yeah. But what does that mean for me? Because I'm still just doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. And so much of it boils down to position. Because what we inevitably do is we try to define our identity related to people. I try to figure out my identity related to my education. I try to figure out my identity related to my family. I try to figure out my identity related to my friends and to my career and to the people who are influencing me. And they all have a, a part in it. But what I want to say this morning is that where we need to start is we need to position ourselves instead of being relative to people, relative to God first. Yeah. Because if I can get my identity to flow out of that relationship, this up-down relationship, then every other relationship, I'm going to start to relate to people differently. I'm going to start to relate to people the way that God actually wired me to relate to people, right? I'm going to start to see things change. Because when we relate to people what we inevitably do is it's like we're blindly grabbing onto things to try to see if they fit, yeah. right? It's like, oh, that's a good idea. I like that thing. Maybe I'll try that. And then six, means, six months later, I'm still unfulfilled in my life. Or, hey, that worked for that person. I'll give it a shot. But it doesn't seem to work out for me. And so I'm here trying to fit pieces into something that they don't fit onto. But when I'm focused on God and I'm focused on his call and I'm focused on my identity in him, then all of a sudden, I'm not doing things relating to people because of what they're doing. I'm relating to people the way that God has called me to relate yeah, to them. Yeah, so, so when we position ourselves relative to God, we have to position ourselves not just looking at him from far off, not just looking at him. We need to get close enough to him. We need to foster an intimacy with God where I'm close enough that I can hear him. Not just the booming things that he needs to say, but I can hear the little things that he has to say. 
I want to be close enough that I can let him just breathe on me. When we position ourselves to be breathed on by the Lord, we position ourselves to encounter life. It says in Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their host. What comes out of the mouth of God? It is life. It is power. It is restoration. It is identity. It is truth. We see in John chapter 20, even. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He has conquered sin and death. And now he appears to his disciples. And when he appears to his disciples, he gives them a command and he tells them to go out and go. The way that the Lord had sent Jesus into the world, he tells his disciples, now this is your job. But because Jesus was resurrected and he was going to go back to heaven, he didn't want to send them out empty-handed because he wouldn't be there with them anymore. So he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he That was the most appropriate timing ever. <laughs> now imagine that's Jesus' breath. <laughs> he opened his mouth and a ringtone came out. <sighs> he breathed on them. And out of the mouth of the Lord came power, came call, came anointing, and came identity for them to go out and change the whole world because Jesus breathed on them. So why is the breath of the Lord so important? Why is it so important that we get close to him? You and I are the sum of everything that has ever happened to us. And that seems, that seems intuitive. That seems like a simple statement to understand, but I don't know that we think about it enough. When the second I came out of the womb, the second I was born, I started having experience in this world, right? And most of us can think about some great times in our life, the good experiences. Summer vacation of sixth grade was like the glory summer vacation for me. It was like every day was sunny. And all I did was eat pizza and play manhunt at night and swim in the pool. I remember that summer. But we're also the product of the bad things that have happened to us, right? And the unfortunate thing is that so often it actually seems like it's the negative things that have happened to us that tend to define our identity a whole lot more than the great things that have happened to us, right? The times you've been disappointed, the times you've been let down, the times you've been hurt by people, the times you've been rejected, all of the terrible things that can happen to us. And what they do is when God made you and God formed you, God knows you. He knows the identity that he created you to be. He knows the gifts that are on you. He knows all of that. But what happens is, as I go through life, these things, they kind of just get on me. Yeah. Kind of like my jacket on top of my shirt, on top of my other shirt. <laughs> That's good. And when we come to the Lord, we're kind of like a giant chunk of rock or a marble. Before Michelangelo ever sculpted the David, the David was an unfinished, uncommissioned chunk of marble that was laying in the backyard of somebody else, and it was actually rejected because it was mediocre quality marble. And it laid there for a bit. When we come to the Lord, so often we're like just this hunk of rock. Yeah. And when we surrender our lives to him, what we do is we actually are giving him permission. Get out the chisel. Get out every other sculpting tool you got. But real works of art, they don't happen overnight. They're intentional. They're whittling. They take the big chunks out first and then throughout our journey with him throughout everything it's the slow refining it's the cleaning up and what happens is that beautiful thing that's inside us that that identity that god wired you with it starts to come out more and more it starts to become more apparent more and more that's why it's so important for us to get into 
the presence of the Lord and let him breathe on us because that is the chisel, the truth of the word, getting in his presence and letting God and the Holy Spirit refine you is what starts shifting things in your world and starts helping you look like that beautiful statue that you are. Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever been up close to a statue, but one of the craziest things about statues is the toes. If you go to the Metropolitan, no, if you go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art, look at the toes. It is crazy, the detail. Or you even look at, sometimes it looks like they have a sheet of fabric on them, and it looks so soft, and yet it's solid rock, and yet something that's so solid and so firm on the inside can have such a beautiful outside appearance. It says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created by Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Say, where is workmanship? Let's say it to each other and encourage one another. Say, you are his workmanship. That could have gone better. It's in God's presence that we're refined like an artist. Workmanship there. Sit on that word for a minute because you might feel like you're not. You might feel like you're not fearfully and wonderfully made. You might feel like you're, you're lacking in certain areas of your life, and you're like, I don't know that this, what, did God, what happened here? And I want to encourage you this morning. You are his workmanship, and sometimes we just got to get some things off of us, and we start to shine the way that he made us to. When we encounter salvation and freedom from our sin and our bondage, restoration is what happens along the journey. Restoration from our past, restoration of relationships. You know, we're in a series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven, or As It Is In Heaven. And I was thinking about that this week, and I couldn't help but think that there's identity inside each and every single one of us. There's call inside each and every single one of us that God breathed into you, that God knew for all eternity before you ever existed what he would put in you for the sole purpose of ministering to him and ministering to the people around you. So what I want to talk to you today is about a restored identity so that it looks on earth as it does in heaven. So we need to get close enough to the Lord to have our identity breathed on. We need to get the breath of the Lord on us. We need to get some refreshing on us, a fresh wind from heaven to come on us. So the first thing that the breath does is it brings grace and it brings truth. His breath brings grace and it brings truth. In John chapter 8, we see a story where the Jewish leaders bring a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery to Jesus. And they throw her down at the ground at his feet. And they tell him, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, she's supposed to be stoned. And what they're really trying to do is they're trying to catch him in a trap, right? They're saying, hey, this is what the law says. And they're like, he's either going to tell us to kill her or he's going to break the law. And he's going to say to let her go and not do anything about it. And so they're, they're like, this is great. We got him in a trap and there's nothing he's going to do about it. And then we see in John chapter 8. Jesus always says such great things to people when they think they've got him. It says in John chapter 8, verse 7, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground. Now, I heard Pastor Chris Hodges say, he says this in our Freedom uh, Transform Group curriculum. He says that he thinks when Jesus was writing on the ground, he was writing the people who were having affairs and the people they were having the affairs with. He's like, Let him who is without the first stone... Uh, 118 6th Street. That's you. And let him without the first stone. He's writing names and stuff. Anyway, it was a lot funnier, I thought. But after he was done writing on the ground, it says, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. 
Jesus stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. Grace. Out of the mouth of the Lord comes grace upon a woman who had been caught in sin, who had been caught trespassing the law. Grace to her. Neither do I condemn you. But now truth. Go. And from now on, sin no more. When God speaks, he always brings truth. Jesus gives us grace, and he spares us the penalty we deserve. But God calls us up out of our sin. Very often we find ourselves at the feet of Jesus asking for forgiveness. But if he challenges you and says, go on and don't do that thing anymore that you know is wrong, are we willing and strong enough to let the thing go because we love God more? I can tell you, after going through Freedom Transform groups, one of the biggest hindrances to people encountering true freedom is that they do not want to let go of what hurts them. And it's a simple truth. And it sounds weird. Why would I hold on to something that hurts you? It's because we're used to it. Yeah. It's because it's become something that's been such a part of my identity for so long that when God actually chisels that thing off of me, I go, where is that? That's always been there. And we want to sometimes bring it back. But I want to encourage you this morning and tell you this morning that we have to just value the freedom that the Lord gives and realize that if it's not there anymore, it's gone for a reason. And that God wants to empower you by it. He wants to strengthen you by it. And he wants to set you free. We're all shaped by choices. We're shaped by the choices we made before we knew the Lord. We're shaped by our choices that we make after we know him. But most importantly, we're shaped by the choices we make after we hear him. So I want to encourage you this morning, as you hear, as you pray, as you seek, when God challenges something in your world, be responsive to it. Be teachable. One of the best things that I ever did in my life as a younger person was I decided I'd be teachable. And I decided when someone that knows more than me or somebody I know that loves me comes into my world and says, hey, Steve, you need to shift this, I'm going to go, okay, I'm not so sure why sometimes, but I'll do it. I'm game. And I've seen the fruit that's come out of the intentional being teachable. It's so important for us. And I want to ask you a question out of this interaction with, this, with the woman in John chapter 8. If we can't leave things, how do we actually open our hearts to what he really calls us to do? If I can't be strong enough to just drop something that's unhealthy, get rid of the toxic relationship that you know you're in, that you don't want to end, but you know you got to end it and you don't want to end it, what would it look like if we let that thing go? What would it look like if we forgave the person that hurt you in junior high? What would it look like if we just allowed the love of God to come through us and minister to people that maybe drive us absolutely crazy? But as we start to let go and as we start to take shape, we're actually surrendering the things to him that he needs to shape in the first place. The second thing that his breath brings us is identity. It's identity. In Mark chapter 5, we see an incredible thing happen. Jesus is on his way to do another miracle. Jesus is moving through a town, and by this point in time, his, his fame is well known. Everybody knows him, so when he goes places, there's a crowd of people pressing on him, trying to get his attention, trying to touch him. And it was in one of these moments where he's on his way to do another miracle that a woman sees him coming. This woman has had an issue with the discharge of blood for 12 years. 12 years that she has had this health condition. The Bible says that she's spent everything that she has. She has gone to so many different doctors trying to find a solution. And it actually says that in this moment, she's worse than she was before. She's broke. She's in worse physical condition than she was before. She resolves to herself, she says, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, 
I know I'm going to be healed. Now, if you've ever endured or are enduring an extended health issue, you know that after time, it gets to be a burden. It gets to be distracting. It gets to be frustrating, doesn't it? Now multiply that into 12 years. Now multiply that because in the society in which she was, she was unclean. So it wasn't that I've had this health issue, but I've had people rallying around me and encouraging me. I've had a health issue and I haven't touched somebody in 12 years. I have not had affirmation in 12 years. I have not had my family in 12 years. I've got nothing left. I'm broke and nobody fixes me. And I know if I just touch them. So the Bible says that she comes and she touches the outer garment on him, his outer cloak. And Jesus in that moment, it says that he knew that healing power had gone out of him. So he goes, who touched me? And now the disciples are like, dude, there's a hundred people. We're all pressed on you. What do you mean who touched you? There's five of us touching you right now. And in Mark chapter 5, verse 32, he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. She came down in fear and in trembling. You ever do something and you don't think nobody's going to notice and all of a sudden he's like, who did this? And you're like, oh no. (laughs) That's way too often in my life. I'm sorry, mom and dad. That's way too often in my world that that has happened to me. The Bible says she came, threw herself at the feet of Jesus. I told him everything. Very often, when we come to Jesus with something that we know we've done, we have to come to him because he's Lord. We have to come to him with honor and respect and admiration, a healthy fear of the Lord. But we should never come scared that we're going to be in trouble. And so many of us, have done stuff that we feel like, hey, I can believe God to forgive me for X, Y, and Z, but don't go there. I don't even bring that up with him because I'm ashamed to. Because we think for some reason that the Lord is just going to yell at us. We think somehow he's going to discipline us in a a bad way, or we think somehow it's going to remove the blessing or disqualify me from serving or doing any of those things. So we keep ourselves back from bringing something to him that hurts us. When he speaks to her, he does not say, yeah, you know, in the future, um, I don't know why he's Australian, but in the future, um, you've got to really be in front of me for me to pray for you. So it's all right for now, but just, you know, make sure you get my attention before you grab my leg, okay? He doesn't say anything like that. The first word out of his mouth, daughter. Not daughter like friendship, like I relate to another woman or some colloquial term. Daughter. Ownership, mine, you. There is no separation between us. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He not only healed her physical ailment. He not only restored her social status with her family and with her friends and with everything else that comes along with it. He spoke identity into her that she had lacked for 12 years. I hadn't felt like a daughter. We have to decide that shame and guilt are not meant to be on us. We have to decide to let go of the shame, let go of the guilt, get myself to his feet and say, I know you can do it. And then let him breathe on you. 
Let them breathe on you. We need those daughter and son moments. It's so crucial that we have those daughter and son moments. Now, I want to ask you, when these two women encountered the breath of the Lord in restoration, where were they? They were at his feet. They weren't far away. They had cultivated and been close to him. The first woman wasn't so much her choice. She was thrown there. But they both, at the feet of Jesus, found purpose, found forgiveness, found restoration, found healing, and found identity. So when was the last time you were at his feet? Instead of asking from across the room for him to get rid of something, can we just make it a habit to get to his feet? Tell him how good he is and watch those things just get off? The third thing that his breath does is it shifts your destiny. On his breath comes grace and truth. On his breath comes identity. But then once it's coming, all of a sudden now, identity gets shifted. When Moses was called by the Lord, we all know that most of us know the story that it was the burning bush. It was, you know, Moses, Moses, and the the bush burned and it wasn't consumed by the fire. But you know what he was doing when God called him? He was tending his father-in-law's flock. Moses was watching sheep that were not his. God calls him. It took a little while, but God got him to do what he was called to do. And then Moses became a tender of the flock of the Lord. God redeemed his purpose and shifted his destiny in the way that he was already serving. Simon, Peter, and Andrew. Jesus is walking and these two are on a boat. And he says, come and follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. Takes what they did. Breathes on it. And now there's a restored purpose. Some people get breathed on and go back into the career, go back into the thing that they were doing because that's where God needs them to be. But there's people that God takes that thing and he goes, and then he says, now go here because this is what I'm calling you to. This is where your identity is. This is what I put in you and I've been trying to show you. Go. On August 21st, 2013, I was on a plane 40,000 feet over the Atlantic Ocean sitting next to Pastor Anthony. We were going on a missions trip to Madagascar. And we were just chatting, and it was, a, it was like, what, 13 and a half hour flight? It was brutal. I think I'd already watched the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It was one of those things. <laughs> and there was a moment, though. I was sitting at the window. He was sitting in the middle. And I don't even know if he even remembers this. But I'll never, ever forget it for the rest of my life. He leans over to me, and he says, hey, man, I was just thinking about you, and I see a real teaching gift on your life. And I think you need, to, you need to pursue that. And that was it. I don't remember the rest of anything. I'll never forget that. Because I stand here today because God breathed through somebody into my identity. My whole life I've done well in school. I've been able to instruct people. I was a math tutor in college. And I never saw that God could redeem that part of me and now turn it into something that pours out into other people. That's why Thrive is so important. That's why you see Verlani's face every week. That's why we tell you about it every single month. Because it's not just about the culture of the church. It's not just about the core values. It's not just about our history. It's not just about why we do stuff. It's about you. It's about uncovering your personality, your talents, and your gifts. 
And then it's about aligning you with where you can serve. That's why that's there every single week. It's because there's something in you. And you might now feel like that giant chunk of rock. You might now feel like maybe I've just got my arm chiseled out and everything else is still rock. Wherever you are on the refining process, we need to be plugged in. We need to be serving. That's why Transform Group is so crucial. That's why being plugged into people and being surrounded by people that love you, that have the best in store for you and listening to what they have to say. That's why such incredible change comes when the breath of heaven comes. You get unlocked. In Ezekiel 37, the prophet is having a vision and he sees a valley of dried bones. And the Lord starts to interact with him and says, do you see these dry bones? Do you believe that they could live? And then he gives him instruction. He says, speak to them. The Bible says that as the prophet prophesies, you see bone coming to bone, which means exactly where it's meant to align. It's not my hip bone up on my, on my shoulder bone and all of that nonsense, right? Everything in joint where it's meant to be. He sees ligaments coming. He sees muscles coming. It says, and I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. And then it says, he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, O son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. How many people in here today, you're empty. You got all the parts in the right place. You got everything stitched together, and you just need the breath from the Lord. It's a moment away. It's an ask away. When we truly surrender, when we allow grace and truth to permeate our hearts and we bring to him and say, God, I don't care what I got to do. I will get rid of anything. I will get rid of anything, Lord, if it means that I'm going to walk in the purpose that you've breathed into me. Because then not only are we going to succeed, then not only are we going to have the good days, but I'm going to be able to rest my head at night and just go, Lord, wow. It's when we position ourselves to be breathed on. No more shame. No more guilt. And no more hiding. Just free. Just the identity that God breathed into you that God purposed you for, walking closer into the destiny. So I wanna tell you, be here, be in this house. If you're not making it a regular habit to be in the house of God, be here. Just a couple weeks ago, I was in the front row. Pastor Joe Riddle was prophesying over Pastor Magno and the Mendez family. And in that moment, clear as day, God said something to me. And it's like the inside of me leapt for joy. You ever get something where it's like you're waiting for the good news or you get good news out of nowhere and you're just like, <laughs> and it's just this like inside of you, just like, I could probably jump higher. I was a high jumper, remember? Fire in the attic. But it's because I was here. It's because I've been here. It's because I've surrounded myself with people who are along the way further than me, who can breathe into my life. Man, that lyric today in the bridge, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Can we push past emotion and tell it to shut up sometimes? 
push past circumstance, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Let God breathe into you today. Let God restore something inside of you today. Prophesy to yourself and say the word of the Lord and the breath of the Lord come in and restore, redeem, and change destiny. just a moment we're going to give people an opportunity because maybe you're in here today and you could say Steve I don't even know Jesus I don't know what you're talking about being at his feet I've never had that experience I've never had that moment we're going to share in a moment together it's not the words that save you it's not the order of the prayer that saves you it's the posture of your heart towards the Lord and it is the conscious decision to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus that's what saves you so in a moment we're going to say a prayer together and if you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you want to be at his feet and say, God, I don't care what I've done. I don't care how big of a rock I am when I come to you. I am going to give you everything. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads together. And repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you. You lived a perfect life. You died. You conquered sin. You conquered death. You rose again so that I may live. I thank you. I put my identity in you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, breathe in me. Lord, shape me. Lord, empower me to make a difference in this world. In Jesus' name. Amen. And with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, if you said that prayer for the first time today, I'm going to ask you to just slip up your hand when I count to three because I want to rejoice with you. One, two, and three. Is there anybody in here? Wow. I see all those hands. Yes, I see all those hands. Can we rejoice that people came home today? Identity and destiny changed today. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray over every single person in this room, Lord, that as you continue to pour out into them, God, that there'd be a fresh breath from heaven today. That, Lord, the identities would be restored and renewed. That, Father God, there would be a dynamic shift today. That people would leave and say, wow, I'm different. Wow, Lord, that thing's gone. And I pray, Father, for vision to be more clear than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.